Welcome. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. I'm Ernesto Sambrano. Today's article is by Wesley Lowry from the November 2021 edition of GQ, Unvarnished, Part 2. Please note, this is a men's magazine, and as such, may include offensive topics or language. What soon followed was one of the most commercially successful runs in the history of cinema. Smith's eight consecutive films grossing over $100 million each at the domestic box office is a record, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Smith's nemesis for years was Tom Cruise, the only person who was sustaining a movie career beyond what I could figure out. After Bad Boys and Independence Day in 1995 and 1996, respectively, Steven Spielberg called, hoping to cast Smith in an upcoming project about a secret police force that works to conceal the existence of extraterrestrials. Smith was skeptical. He'd already done the cop thing, and the alien thing. But Spielberg persisted, and the resulting project was Men in Black, a major pillar of the Smith cinematic canon. Those three movies alone made Smith a top box office draw across the world and an unprecedented type of star, a black actor whom white and global audiences loved. Then, after a couple of relative flops, Wild Wild West and The Legend of Bagger Vance, Smith took his first big swing at serious themes, portraying a decade of growth, turmoil, and protest in the life of Muhammad Ali. It's as raw and as great of a performance as any that you can think of, said director Michael Mann who still thinks back to a night shoot in Chicago that stretched into the early morning hours. As the two men stood in the snow, surrounded by period cars and storefronts, Smith turned to Mann and asked earnestly, Can you believe that people actually pay us to do this? He's got a lot of balls artistically and as a man, Mann told me, noting how difficult an assignment playing Ali is. He's materially, wonderfully successful. I'm conscious of that but he asks himself the most serious and profound questions that every single one of us encounters in our lives. After the hugely popular Men in Black and Bad Boys sequels, Smith branched out into apocalyptic sci-fi with I, Robot, starring Bridget Moynihan. In the film's most intimate scene, Moynihan learns for the first time that Smith's character is part robot by methodically inspecting his arm and chest. I could never get through the take. After the third rib, he would start giggling like a little girl, she recalled. That's his charm. A few years later, when Moynihan's relationship with Tom Brady ended, only for her to soon learn that she was pregnant with their child, prompting a tabloid frenzy, Smith reached out to his former co-star. He was the first person to pick up the phone and say, Come over. Let's talk, Moynihan told me. And for somebody like that to make room in his life was impressive. I'm sure I am not unique. He's that person. That's what my life is for, Smith explained to me a few days after I spoke with Moynihan. Both of his parents, as well as his grandmother, had been the kind of people you called in a time of crisis, and so it's a role he's eager to play for others. That was the thing even with Tom Cruise. Tom and I became friends in the middle of his public difficulties. That's when I want to be there. If everything is great, call somebody else. Call me when you need help. I love it. I love being the 2 a.m. emergency phone call. It wouldn't be quite accurate to describe Will as a happy book. It's at turns comedic and inspirational. But even though he'd gotten everything he set out for, the Grammy and global fame, a beautiful and successful wife, children who are themselves superstars, Smith still wasn't happy. His movies weren't reaching the same mountaintops as Independence Day and Men in Black, and his single-minded pursuit of stardom had left many of his closest relationships battered and bruised. Throughout the years, I would always call Denzel. He's a real sage. 
I was probably 48 or something like that, and I called Denzel. He said, listen, you've got to think of it as the funky 40. Everybody's 40s are funky. He said, but just wait till you hit the fuck at 50s, Smith told me. He said, just bear with your 40s. I stopped and I was like, the funky 40s and the fuck it 50s. And that's exactly what happened. It just became the fuck it 50s. And I gave myself the freedom to do whatever I wanted to do. Many of those things are detailed in the book. And others he's still keeping close to the vest. Some things are for GQ articles and some things are not, he told me. And so Smith set out on a journey to find himself and find happiness. He rented a house in Utah and sat in solitude for 14 days. He traveled to Peru for more than a dozen ayahuasca rituals, even though he'd never even smoked weed and barely drank. This was my first tiny taste of freedom, Smith writes of his first experience. In my 50-plus years on this planet, this is the unparalleled greatest feeling I've ever had. He opened a stand-up show for Dave Chappelle. He began traveling without security for the first time, showing up in foreign countries and working his way through the airport crowds unaccompanied. I totally opened myself up to what... I think, was a fresh sampling of the fruits of the human experience, Smith told me. During his first meeting with Michaela Bohm, an intimacy coach he spent years working with, Smith confessed that, if he could have anything in the world, he'd want a harem of girlfriends. Who? Bohm demanded, insisting he name specific women he'd want to invite to his harem. Misty Copeland, Smith replied, and Halle Berry, too. For the rest of the session, the two of them researched specific women who could round out his aspirational harem. The plan was to then begin contacting the women. I don't know where I saw it or some shit as a teenager, but the idea of traveling with 20 women that I loved and took care of and all that, it seemed like a really great idea, Smith explained to me with a laugh. And then, after we played it out for a little bit, I was like, that would be horrific. That would be horrific. I was like, can you imagine how miserable? What she was doing was essentially cleaning out my mind, letting it know it was okay to be me and who I was. It was okay to think Hallie is fine. It doesn't make me a bad person that I'm married and I think Hallie is beautiful. Whereas in my mind, in my Christian upbringing, even my thoughts were sins. That was really the process that Michaela worked me through, to let me realize that my thoughts were not sins, and even acting on an impure thought didn't make me a piece of shit. Smith's relatively late career embrace of social media is another storytelling experiment. He's become one of the internet's buzziest celebrities, offering fans and followers a glimpse of him on set, embracing weird memes, and shooting TikToks and video clips specifically engineered to go viral. That was one of the things I learned with James Avery on Fresh Prince. James made it very clear, you are not a famous rapper here, Smith recalled. If you want to be successful, you'd better humble yourself to this craft. I never forgot that idea. When you start something new, humble yourself to the craft. He started studying Liza Koshy, who leveraged her success on Vine and YouTube into acting roles, and who advised Smith to stop trying to be so perfect. Social media thrives on the perception of authenticity. It was fine if he flubbed a line or if his lighting wasn't perfect in a TikTok. Smith started shooting some of his videos on his iPhone, as opposed to professional camera equipment. He took cues from Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart, who impressed him with the way they'd share behind-the-scenes moments from their movie shoots, something that would have been unthinkable in the Hollywood that Smith had come up in. They were doing unheard-of stuff, posting pictures from set. You can't post pictures from a set a year before the movie comes out. Oh, shit, yes you can, Smith recalled thinking. I saw just how they invited people into the process in a way that I thought you weren't allowed to do. Bright, the 2017 film Smith starred in for Netflix, was the first to use his content studio, Westbrook Media, to produce social media from the set. 
After a career of getting excited about scripts that the public might not see on the big screen for years, I Am Legend, for example, took over 10 years to get made. There was something intoxicating about shooting, editing, and getting a video clip out to the public in just a matter of hours. It completely changed how I interacted with the world and how I interacted with my creative life. I wanted to create fast and put it out. Sometimes he runs his ideas for posts by his children. Other times, when he's traveling, the Westbrook Media team reaches out to local social media influencers to set up creator days, in which he meets with a bunch of them to make content. To just be able to make things, without an outcome goal that had to do with being the biggest movie star in the world. Back to the feeling in DJ Jazzy Jeff's mom's basement of making music. It was fun. We were experimenting. We were trying things. That's what happened again for me with social media, Smith told me. It's such a powerful way for me to keep in touch with people and, creatively, what the next thing is about to be. The next phase of my life is going to be the most creative and expansive of my entire life and career. Smith's foray into social media also comes at a time when he and Jada have become Hollywood's most transparent and vulnerable couple. Red Table Talk, the Facebook show hosted by Pinkett Smith, is the closest thing the digital age has to the role of Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Phil once played on broadcast television, a place for difficult, messy conversations about love, sex, drugs, and everything else, often featuring their daughter Willow and Jada's mother, Adrian Banfield Norris. Smith himself has appeared on the show, most notably for a frank discussion with Jada about a period of non-monogamy in their marriage. The pursuit of truth is the only way to be happy in this lifetime, Smith told me, and we sort of came to the agreement that authenticity was the release from the shackles of fame and public scrutiny. When you tell the truth, the pair reasoned, you never have to fear being found out. As we sat in a trailer on the Emancipation set, heavy raindrops pattering against the metal roof, Smith had a question for me. I was one of the first people he'd spoken to, or at least one of the only ones who didn't work for him, who had read the draft of his book manuscript. And so he wanted to know what I thought. I told him the truth. I'd enjoyed it, but I wondered about how he decided which details of his marriage to include and which to leave out. Throughout the draft that I'd read, Smith had dropped in foreshadowing tidbits about marital acrimony. Jada, her husband writes, hadn't wanted a traditional wedding ceremony, but gave in to his pressure. This would be the first of many compromises Jada would make over the years that painfully negated her own values. Years later, Smith persuaded her to move into a massive 256-acre compound that she was dead set against purchasing. Nothing good comes from spending your hard-earned money on a family home that your wife doesn't want, Smith writes. You are putting a down payment on Discord, and for years you will be paying off a mortgage of misery, or worse. The harsh reality for those who love a dreamer is that everything comes second to the dream. As Smith's stardom grew, his wife would wake up many mornings in tears. At one point, she turned down an opportunity for her band to open for Guns N' Roses so that Smith could continue shooting the pursuit of happiness. Things reached a breaking point by Jada's 40th birthday, in 2011. Will had spent three years planning a private family and friends dinner in Santa Fe, where he screened a documentary he'd commissioned that chronicled her life and traced her family's lineage back to slavery and in which he tracked down a descendant of the White family who once owned Jada's ancestors. When they got back to the hotel suite that night, Jada was nearly silent. That was the most disgusting display of ego I have ever seen in my life, Smith recalls his wife telling him. The two began fighting so loudly that a ten-year-old Willow, with whom they were sharing the suite, emerged crying with her hands over her ears, begging them to stop. Our marriage wasn't working, Smith writes. We could no longer pretend. We were both miserable, and clearly something had to change. And then, a little abruptly, 
the book's narrative about Will and Jada ends. In the early version of the manuscript that I read, there was no discussion of any outside relationships, on his behalf or hers. When I mentioned this to Smith, he asked me, You felt cheated? Now look, I'm a reporter. I certainly read that manuscript ready to jot down any and every detail about who and what Will and Jada may have been doing during the more open parts of their past decade. But the reality is, a fair amount of what's missing played out in public. At some point, their relationship stopped being monogamous. Jada never believed in conventional marriage. Jada had family members that had an unconventional relationship. So she grew up in a way that was very different than how I grew up. There were significant, endless discussions about what is relational perfection? What is the perfect way to interact as a couple? And for a large part of our relationship, monogamy was what we chose, not thinking of monogamy as the only relational perfection, Smith told me. We have given each other trust and freedom with the belief that everybody has to find their own way. And marriage for us can't be a prison. And I don't suggest our road for anybody. I don't suggest this road for anybody. But the experience is that the freedoms that we've given one another and the unconditional support, to me, is the highest definition of love. Smith grappled with whether to include all that stuff in the book, and it was clear that the final version could look different than the one I saw. But ultimately, he decided to leave many of the most personal details out. There was no way to chronicle the parts that happened next from solely his own perspective. There was no way to tell his story without telling others, too. It felt like it was a whole book unto itself, Smith explained. In July 2020, following public revelations of what Jada would describe as an entanglement with the R&B singer August Alsina, a tabloid frenzy ensued, and Will and Jada took themselves to the red table for a 12-minute discussion of the dynamics of their relationship. This did not necessarily clear things up. The public has a narrative that is impenetrable, Smith said. Once the public decides something, it's difficult to impossible to dislodge the pictures and ideas and perceptions. Because the impetus for the Red Table Talk was Alcina's disclosures, a viewer could have walked away thinking that Jada was the only one engaging in other sexual relationships. When that was not, Smith delicately explained to me, in fact the case. Or take one of the memes spawned from their discussion, a screenshot of Smith looking stern-faced and droopy-eyed. It was midnight, and we were going on vacation the next day, Smith explained, knowing that the details they were discussing were, by that point, years in the past. It was like... No, 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 guys. I'm not sad. I'm fucking exhausted. It was clear that Smith had more to say. I could feel him rubbing up against the guardrails that he and Jada had established about what they would discuss publicly. He told me he'd talk with Jada, but when we spoke again a few weeks later, he said he wasn't sure he wanted to go much deeper. I was supposed to be disappointed, but after reading about the work he's done to break his addiction to affirmation, to free himself of the need to please, it was hard not to be proud of him for sticking to a boundary. It may seem hard to believe, but I would lose sleep over not giving you the answer that I know you could use, Smith told me. I want to help you. I want you to succeed. I want you to have a headline. But by the same token, I don't want to deal with the backlash of that in the world. To say I don't want to talk about that three years ago would have been fucking excruciating for me. For decades, Will Smith has been gracious to every interviewer. He gives you 90 minutes after agreeing to an hour. And then when he's done, he walks outside to take photos with every fan smiling for each and every one. But Will? The real Will. Not the character he's been playing for our benefit. He gets to say no to the hundredth selfie of the day. He gets to keep some things private, even when he knows your story would be better with just a few more details. The major difference is, I tell the truth, even when people don't like it, Smith told me. And Will Smith doesn't. 
That brings us to the end of today's article on Varnished R2. If you want to learn more about Pairs LA and the types of programs we offer, follow us by clicking on any of the social media links at the top of our web pages. If you like what you see or hear, please click the like button. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind, low vision, and print impaired listeners. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Ernesto Sambrano, and I'll be back soon with another article. Thanks for listening.